Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. Welcome into the Giants Wire podcast. And Dan, you called it once again. One of these days, I'm going to start believing you. Uh, the Giants, a week after playing down to the Falcons, uh, play up to the Saints on the road, pull off an unbelievable comeback win, down 11 in the fourth quarter. I know I didn't think that they were going to win that ball game. I thought that game was going about as most of us expected, except for you, Dan Benton. You were the only one who didn't expect uh, the Giants to, to lose that game. You thought they were going to win. And here's where I'm at after watching that comeback. And, you know, I even I think I texted you and I was like, how the hell did they win that game? And you just wrote back Daniel Jones. And that's where I'm at. Like, I still don't know if the Giants have the right coach or coordinators or GM. But I think the Daniel Jones haters and I've seen you tweeting about this. I think it's time for them to concede. Right. He's he's in the top 10 discussion for current starting quarterbacks right now. And he's developing. And yeah, the team has some problems, but I don't think Daniel Jones is uh, is problem number one at all. He's way, way down the list, and I think he's developing just fine. And what a performance in the fourth quarter and overtime to lead the Giants back in a tough building, loud, deafening crowd noise. I mean, that's as tough a spot as it gets against a good Saints defense. What a night for yeah. Daniel Jones and the Giants coming back and winning that game. Oh, it certainly was an impressive performance. You gotta, you know, gotta tip your cap to the offensive line, the makeshift offensive line as well with another starting left guard. Listen, they started the game off a little rough. Uh Nate Solder in particular was not having a, a very good start to that game. Andrew Thomas, on the other hand, listen, we, we're gonna spend a lot of time uh today probably talking about Saquon, Daniel Jones, some other things. We got to get it out of the way that Andrew Thomas is playing at an all pro level through four weeks of the season right now. He has every bit the dominating left tackle that people thought he was going to be coming out of college. Um, and as much as I'd love to gloat about things that I get right, I, I wasn't 100% right on Thomas. I was kind of getting ready to say, you know, this guy just doesn't have it. Now, granted, I warned that, you know, he played through injury and there were some other issues that maybe we should be, um, you know, a little slow before, you know, kicking him out of East Rutherford. But I wasn't 100% sold on him, I admit it, through four weeks of the season. However, I watched him and I spent last night actually watching his film uh, in particular. And it was remarkably impressive. And Daniel Jones doesn't do what Daniel Jones did without Andrew Thomas in that game. So credit to Andrew Thomas. Maybe we didn't flush a number four overall pick down the toilet, right? That's that's a good sign. He's, uh, yeah, so I think that's a big storyline right now. And that's something that, you know, we have more of a positive cadence on the show this week. It hasn't been so positive the last month or so doing this show. Uh, right. weekly well, give, Dan, give me a couple minutes and we'll get there. Yeah, but. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there's some things that we could get into. But I think the development of a guy like Andrew Thomas, the development of the quarterback, Daniel Jones, is something that Giants yeah. fans can hold on to. I mean, with Daniel Jones, we've been waiting for that year three takeoff, right? That's just yeah. what we've been talking about. Do you think we're officially airborne after this one? I mean, 14 of 19, 200 yards, that huge touchdown bomb to Saquon. Mm-hmm. That was all fourth quarter in overtime. He threw for over 400 yeah. yards in the Superdome. And uh, well, he was just excellent in this game and, he, and great down was. the stretch. He was. He was. And, and listen, I know that people are starting to catch up now. And I sort of said that on Twitter. I, I believe it was yesterday that, you know, some people are just late to the party on this. And. Again, that's not a pat on my own back or anything like that. And, you know, obviously there's still some things that Daniel Jones needs to work on. There were actually a couple plays when I watched the film that I kind of shook my head at. 
that have gone unnoticed so far and haven't been brought up, which surprises me, and, and maybe we'll touch on them at another time. Um, but outside of that, I thought he played exceptionally well. But I also believe that Jones has played well in all four games this season. Um, there was some rough moments, obviously, with the fumble in week one. He played much better, uh, obviously, in week two when, for the first time, really, we got to see him air it out, and it was sort of like, wow, the, this is what this kid can be. And then, obviously, the Giants regressed in week three. The game plan, for whatever reason, just it just didn't fit with what was going well. And then they went back to it against uh, New Orleans. And listen, we, we've seen it time and time again. And this is what I mean. Like some people are kind of late to the party. If you've genuinely been watching Daniel Jones with an unbiased mind, there's no way that you can look at his body of work at this point as a pro. And one, not only see the development, but two, not only, you know, not see how damaging he can be to defenses down the field. He is by far the league's best deep ball passer. I'm sorry, you can argue with me all day long. You're wrong. He is the best deep ball passer in the NFL. And now not only are we seeing it on the field and in the film, you're starting to see it in all the data, the analytical data, the advanced analytics, the next-gen stats. There is no number or data point that you can point to right now that doesn't show that Daniel Jones is a top-ten quarterback in the NFL. No, I like him. And I like what he does with his legs, too. Sneaky good on the ground with his legs. He could throw it deep. We know he could throw it underneath, too. We, you know, he's when Shepard's in there in the slot, he can throw it short. He can throw it long. He can run. Uh, what's not to like about Daniel Jones? He's still young. He's developing. And I think oh, yeah. he's on the right track. Yep. Here's, here's one thing I want to talk about, Dan. You know what happens when we do a show like we did last week, uh, declaring the Giants dead in the season over, <laughs> which is what I was doing last week. Uh, and you weren't necessarily disagreeing. No. Uh, you know, just them being 0-3 with the schedule coming up, going to New Orleans, going to Dallas this week. And everyone else, you know, the other teams coming up down the road, you know, the Rams, the Panthers, the Chiefs. I mean, real yep. tough schedule coming up for the Giants. We declared them dead last week. Well, now they're one and three coming off a really nice win on the road. And you could already see it coming, right? It's like, how do you like the Giants now? They're not done yet, right? They should be three and one. They're a couple of plays away from being three and one. But you could flip that around, right? And you could say they could also be 0-4. Because what percent chance, Dan, would you have given them to, to win that game in New Orleans? 12 minutes left, down 21-10. 10 per, less than 10%, 5%? What's their chances well, of winning that ball game? Right. So the way their defense was playing, it wasn't it was not high percentage. No, no. no. So so they pull that thing out, which is great. And great. And hey, we're in a much better mood this week than we were last week. But you still got manhandled by the Broncos in week 1, and you got embarrassed at home by the Falcons in week 3. I think you kind of deserve to be a one and three team right now, to be honest. Sure. And I, I don't think my mood has changed yet on this team, Dan. I still need to see more. I still think it's a long stretch that they're going to be in the playoff pitcher come Thanksgiving. Listen, I'm glad the Giants fans are enjoying themselves. Listen, I'm glad that I'm covering a win instead of a loss this week. It was getting exhausting. It was getting tiresome. It was yeah. much needed for the fans, the reporters, the the players, the, the organization as a whole. It's great. But if that doesn't continue against Dallas and they don't, you know, start to snowball a little bit and pick up wins against some of these electric and top end teams, then it's not really going to matter in the end. And we can argue all day long about how, oh, they could be a three and one team if two other players just went their way. Well, if one other play didn't go their way, they'd be on four right now. And looking ahead at that schedule, no one would be feeling optimistic. Listen, it's like I said, it's great that they won, but there is a long, long road back for this team right now. And there's a long, long road back for them to make me believe that they're not done after that on three start. Well, there's one side of the football that we're having a hard time believing in, Dan, as we discuss and prep for the show. And you even feel worse about it when you consider the opponent you have coming up next in the offense. The Giants are about to face. Let's talk about the defense coming up next. 
This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Hello, Fantasy Faithful. Welcome to Week 5 of the Fantasy Football Season. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com, here to bring you strong play. Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins versus the Detroit Lions. While statistically this actually ranks as just the 20th best matchup for quarterbacks, much of that is due to facing San Francisco and Chicago. Detroit gave up over 24 fantasy points to Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers, and Cousins should benefit from a healthier Dalvin Cook to keep the defense focused off of the passing attack. Also working in his favor, Detroit lost arguably its best pass rusher this past week, and Kirk Cousins has gone for three touchdowns or more in three of his last four games versus the Lions. Atlanta Falcons running back Mike Davis versus the New York Jets. Cordero Patterson has received all of the hype, and rightfully so, but Davis has managed to remain a weekly play. It hasn't been pretty, and he hasn't been explosive, but what better time to bring in a Jets defense that has given up 111.8 rushing yards per game, that's the seventh most, eight catches, the second most, and 72 yards to the air, also the second most, to the running back position. One in every 22.2 touches by RBs have made it into the end zone. Miami Dolphins wide receiver Jalen Waddle at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We could see tons of short passes to Waddle against Tampa Bay if the Buccaneers can pressure Jacoby Brissett heavily. Last week we saw signs of the Buccaneers pass rush coming to life. In week four, Waddle saw only four targets, but he had 12 passes come his way the prior week against a very capable Las Vegas pass rush. More pressure could equal shorter passes to get the ball out of the hands faster for Jacoby Brissett. No Will Fuller also means more work for Jalen Waddle. Despite all of Tampa's injuries in the secondary, the existing personnel actually matches up fairly well with the wide receivers from Miami. Look for Waddle to be used as a quasi-running back in this game. Cincinnati Bengals tight end C.J. Ozoma against the Green Bay Packers. He was a two-touchdown performer last week and has only a minor role, but he gets a chance to show it wasn't a fluke against a defense that has allowed averages of over six catches a game, 56 yards per game, and a touchdown every eight and a quarter catches to the position. This is the number seven overall matchup in PPR, number eight in standard scoring, and Green Bay's secondary and linebacking core will really be scraping at the bottom of the barrel to provide adequate depth after several injuries in both layers. While there's a lot of fluidity about the personnel situation, what is static? Green Bay stinks at guarding tight ends. For more fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please check out the award-winning huddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with the huddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4. 4700 in Colorado. So, Dan, we're continuing to talk about this uh, great Giants comeback win in New Orleans. Still not sure how they did. You, t- you told me they were going to win. I didn't believe you. <laughs> Nobody believed you. Uh, but they found a way to win this. We're giving a lot of credit to Daniel Jones and the offense, obviously. How about the defensive side of the ball? The same problems continue to show up on that side, right? Still a, a total lack of pass rush. We're seeing soft coverage, and and I want you to talk about that. But I think you can get away with some stuff against a Jameis Winston who, I mean, he's still in, like, puppy training mode. They're, they're really not. Jameis Winston seems like he's afraid to turn the ball over. And Sean Payton basically put the fear of death into him, saying, you can't turn the ball over or you're not going to be my quarterback. And I think Jameis Winston, he's one of the more conservative passers that we have right now because he's afraid to make a mistake. And so, yeah, the Giants were able to get by against that offense. But uh, this week against Dak Prescott and what I think is probably the most efficient offense in football right now, 
uh, the scariest offense to try to defend. There's some real question marks around what's going on on the defensive side of the football for the Giants. And I know you have some beef with it, Dan. So why don't you go ahead? Take the floor. 100%. I mean, you know, I know that it's sort of kind of swept under the rug because the Giants were able to pick up a victory. But on Sunday, just listen to some of the numbers. They had zero sacks. They had zero quarterback pressures. They had zero tackles for a loss. And they had 15, 15 missed tackles as a defense. Scary. That's the fact that they were able to win the game with those issues is almost unbelievable. It really is. And that's again, you're talking about a team and I'm not taking anything away from the Saints. They're not a terrible team, but that's against the Saints team that doesn't hold a candle to the team that they're about to play this Sunday that has arguably the best offensive line in all of football, a bruising running back that breaks tackles as a matter of habit and a very escapable quarterback who is big and strong in his own right and can break some tackles, not to mention these top-end receivers, and the Giants are already struggling against basically any receivers as it is now because they're just getting left out on an island as it is with no pass rush. So unless the Giants and Graham can find some sort of way to generate or scheme some consistent pressure and then are able to go get home on that pressure and take Prescott down, it, they could be in for a very, very long day. You just let Dak Prescott sit back there. He's going to pick you apart. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm anxious to get into that matchup and get Dan's pick because you always pick these games right, Dan, and I always take the other side and lose. So I can't wait to see who you pick in this game, Giants and uh, Cowboys. But first, we just came out of our fantasy segment with Corey Bonini of TheHuddle.com and uh, Kadarius Tony. He, he became fantasy relevant, I think, last week, Dan, because he actually was part of the game plan. Well, that's amazing. Kadarius Tony made a sighting. Uh, I don't know if that was because of Sterling Shepard being out or what, but nine targets, six catches, 78 yards. I think it could have been an even bigger day, right? Because he had a ball or two he definitely should have brought in. But, yeah. uh, you know, he averaged 13 yards per catch. Kenny Galladay gets over 100 yards. He averages 19 yards per catch. John Ross catches a home run ball for a touchdown. So finally, we saw the, this Giants offense that they drew up on the whiteboard when they brought these uh, receivers in, right? So that was that was good to see. But what do you think about Kadarius Tony, especially him being a bigger part of the game plan? Boy, he is a slippery player, isn't he? I don't know that if I've, I've ever seen. Listen, he's up there with the Odell Beckhams in my mind because of his stop and start ability. It's crazy. Uh, Did you think he it, danced too much, though, Dan? I mean, he was very no, dancey. I, I actually was perfectly okay with you it like because that. He, he had guys on ice skates. He had some of the best players in the NFL. <laughs> he was dancing, baby. <laughs> he was. He, he was making them look foolish. There was one play where he uh, gained that first down where he was, you know, breaking tackle after tackle after tackle. If you go back and watch the film on that play, one of the defenders dove towards a spot, completely missed, and was seven yards up the field on his rear end because he just missed so bad. I mean, it was embarrassing for the Saints. They were missing so much. But beyond just that, what Tony brings to the table, you know, the, the yards after the catch, the broken tackles, everything like that is great. But him and, and John Ross on the field combined, they clear out the entire field for players like Galladay because you have to stay back. And you actually heard Ross talk about it after the game. Whenever he came in, uh, the Saints defenders were yelling to the secondary, get back, get back, get back. And then he would just, you know, just run you know, just as fast as he could clear everything out. Then you had Galladay and Shepard and Engram at one point all underneath wide open. It was the most amount of separation that the Giants receivers have created all season. And 
I, I, you know, check the notes, possibly even back to last season as well. And that was a direct product of the speed that's brought to the table by Ross and Tony. So more than their production as receivers. And I want to give John Ross a tip of the cap, too, because everybody, you know, is is all up about that huge 52-yard touchdown he brought in. But it was actually the rest of his play that was the most impressive to me. He had a comebacker where he ran an excellent route. Um, he had another uh, um, another route where he caught a ball along the sideline where he was stopping and starting and completely had the defender fooled. There, there was just no defense for it. And he actually led the Giants in blocking grade um, for the game as well. Downfield blocking for Galladay and some other receivers, blocking for Saquon Barkley. It really was a tremendous performance by Ross and proved that he's a lot more valuable than just his speed. Um, so those two bring a lot of you know dynamic ability to the field for Daniel Jones and company. And I actually think it's going to hurt Darius Slayton's playtime overall uh, because there's there's no denying you know what they're able to produce while they're on the field. Again, whether it's you know just running you know down the field catching big long passes because they're so fast or you know with the short quick routes with the quick feet the quick start stop and break it tackles yards after catch etc etc it it does add an entire new level to the giants offense and it opens things up for everybody else uh which is honestly over over the summer when we talked about it it's kind of what we thought they were always going to do in the first place so they make everybody else around them better even when they're not necessarily drawing the targets themselves so you add sterling shepherd into that whole dynamic and even Darius Slayton as part of, you know, substitutions and, and different, you know, different personnel. And all of a sudden the Giants have an embarrassment of riches for Daniel Jones. This is what we were talking about in the summer, right? It just took till week yeah. four, Dan, to, for them to get them all on the field and use them correctly yeah. and, and make it look like a real offense. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Slayton and Shepard, right? Because they're out of this game. And we know the role Shepard has. It's a huge role in this offense, yeah. running, you know, working the slot, working the underneath stuff. So, yeah, is Slayton like the odd man out? Because Kadarius Tony, if he's going to get nine targets, you know, does that happen if Darius Slayton's out there getting his usual yeah. snaps? Probably not, right? You got, Probably you not. do have an embarrassment of riches. We know the role Galladay is going to command out on the outside. So, John Ross, Darius Slayton, there's only so many reps for those guys. So, maybe, maybe Slayton is kind of the, the odd man out when, he, when he's healthy. He, he potentially is. And again, that's not necessarily a knock on Slayton. He's an excellent player, too. You know, his drop earlier this season, notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. You know, he's, he's a speedster, too. Uh, but the level of speed that John Ross has compared to other players, it's it's just different. He's just a different level of speed. And then when you have Tony, he has a different level of stop and start. He he is able to not just break tackles. He's able, like I said, he's able to embarrass guys and make them miss in ways that professional athletes shouldn't miss. And I, and I think the other thing too, just and even though it's not necessarily relative to what we're discussing. I, I think we got to give Tony credit because on that one play where he was, where it was designed to be a pass, he really showed some veteran instinct there in not launching the ball into double or triple coverage and just putting it up over the middle of the field. The fact that he was able to recognize that there was nothing there and to tuck the ball away and just take a yard was really, really impressive and potentially save the Giants a turnover. Well, here comes our uh, our play of the week from the, our friends at the Sportsbook Wire, Jeff Clark, Esther McLaren, Dan. They always argue over. You know, they they pick a game and they usually are on both sides of the game. One guy's Jeff's on one side, Essence on the other, and they they argue over which side is right. That's usually us, right? When we talk about who the Giants are playing next, uh, 
I pick a side, you pick a side, but usually you're right and I'm wrong. That's usually how this works. So Giants, Cowboys, we're going to look at the spread, make a pick. And really, I think this week, I'm just going to listen to what you have to say and then do that <laughs> because I'm not, I'm not going to try to make my own pick anymore because you're always right about the freaking Giants. We'll do that coming up next. This is the Typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. Hello, I'm Esther McLaren of BetSlippin' Podcast and SportsbookWire.com here with my colleague Jeff Clark to break down the Week 5 Sunday night football matchup between the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are two-and-a-half-point home favorites, minus 122 odds. The Bills, plus 2.5, minus 102. I'm really on the Chiefs here. They've had the much tougher schedule of the Bills. I think the Bills might be a little bit too used to playing cupcake opponents. And the Chiefs handled the Bills twice last season, including the AFC Championship game. This is a very manageable number for them. They're in the thick, or they're in the bottom of the AFC West. They need to start piling up the wins. The Bills are in cruise control atop the AFC East. Give me Kansas City. Jeff? Yeah, I'm going with the Buffalo Bills, plus two and a half. Speaking of cupcake schedules, the Bills definitely play a cupcake schedule, but I don't think they're going to play an easier defense all season, the Kansas City Chiefs. They have more balance. They're better on both sides of the ball. Uh, they got a higher EPA differential, and I'm going to go with the Bills, plus two and a half, and might even sprinkle a little bit on the dog's money line here. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with the huddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. Yeah, Dan, I'm still I'm still mad about the Atlanta game. I, I still don't know how the Giants lost uh, at home to the Falcons, but I digress. So we're, we're way ahead of that now. Uh, Giants currently six and a half point underdogs at Dallas this week. Let's start here. How much stock do you put into the Jason Garrett factor? Right, I was talking to KD Drummond over at the Cowboys Wire earlier this week. He's losing sleep right now about Jason Garrett. He, you know, he's he he thinks Garrett's going to spin the dial with all these weapons after getting Kadarius Tony rolling in that ball game. We probably talked about this last year as well, Dan, but do you think the Jason Garrett factor plays into this at all for the Giants on offense going against the Cowboys? Potentially, but on the Giants side, there's got to be some level of consistency because we've kind of seen now in week one he was off, in week two he was on, in week two, in week three right. he was off, in week four he was on. That trend can't continue. Joe Judge talks about it all the time. You've got to get off the roller coaster and create some level of consistency. Now, twice this season, we saw what this team is capable of when you put the ball in Daniel Jones's hands and just let him do his thing. Now, going into a game in Dallas against his former team, against a hostile crowd, a must-win divisional game, uh, against a great team, you know, is he going to stick with that or is he going to overthink things as he tends to do? And I think that's a concern that you have to have there. But even if he is consistent, uh, even if he does call a good game, and listen, there were times last week everybody wants to rave and, and rant about how great of a game plan it was. And listen, it was one of his better game plans since he came to the Giants. But there were plenty of flaws in that game plan, particularly early on in the game, where you were kind of left scratching your head thinking, is this guy ever going to figure it out? Um, so again, that level of consistency isn't just week by week. It's almost quarter by quarter. And that can certainly rear its other ugly head against uh, again this weekend. But beyond that, like we talked about earlier, although I'm starting to have more confidence in Gary in the offense, um, there's just that major concern when it comes to the defense against a team, especially like Dallas, which is 
certainly more littered with talent than any of the four teams the Giants have played so far. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, if the Giants try like a flea flicker in the first half or first quarter or something, Dan, I'm going to find the live line. I'm going to bet Dallas, Um, but I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. So, yeah, I mean, you look at this Dallas offense like Dak, like I said earlier, probably leading the most efficient offense in the NFL. You talked about Ezekiel Elliott. They're also using Tony Pollard and the two of them are Mm -hmm. averaging like 5.9 yards per carry. Uh, you got great wide receivers, Amari Cooper. I love C.D. Lamb. Even Cedric Wilson, who's filling in for Michael Gallup. He's got touchdowns in back-to-back games. I mean, they just score, and they don't really... It's not like they throw the ball 45 times a game, either. Like, Dak Prescott, he's thrown under 30 passes, three straight weeks, all wins. They're running the football. They're very balanced. And, oh, by the way, they get the tight ends involved, too. Dalton Schultz, Blake Jarwin. So, uh, a very tough offense to defend. Giants, six-and-a-half-point underdogs at Dallas at the moment on Tipico. What do you think about that spread, Dan? Are you uh, are you taking the points and go with the Giants? What do you think? Well, the first thing that leaped out to me is the fact that Dallas got a worse spread than the Saints did at home, which was <laughs> which point. was kind of surprising to me. Like, where where who drew that one up? Good point. Um, but uh, you know, listen for every reason that you just broke down, Ezekiel Elliott, the tight ends, Gabriel Peppers is likely to miss this game uh, with a hamstring injury, so that weakens the Giants' run defense even more. They've been weak up the middle. I've been saying it over and over and over like a broken record. Nobody seems to want to acknowledge it. They are weak from the front end to the back end up the middle. The matchup of the Giants defense against the the Cowboys offense is just on paper, it's remarkably unfair. Um, Every strength that the Cowboys have matches directly with a Giants weakness. Um, So for that reason alone, and I know fans are going to hate hearing this, not only do I think the Giants are going to lose this game, I think it's going to be by more than a touchdown. Okay. Okay. So that's fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue for the giant side, Dan. Okay. I can't, I can't do it. Here's what I'm going to argue for the total 52 and a half feels way too high for a giants game for me. Doesn't it only one of four giants games so far this season, it's cleared the 50 point total. And that was against uh, Washington, that Thursday night thriller where the giants got up. I think they scored 29 points in that ball game, but we typically know what kind of, it, it takes the giants overtime to get to 27, right? We know that they, they just can't score. I know the Cowboys are going to score. I agree with you there. I don't know how much the Giants are going to score. 52 and a half feels like a, that number feels way too high for a Giants game. And I really like the under. I think if I'm betting this game, I'm a little scared of the spread because it's a division game. And I could see I do like the Cowboys to win as well. But I could see the Giants hanging around and making it a one possession game. But the total 52 and a half, doesn't that feel way too high to you? Um, again, this is this is going to be where we differ. This is going to be where we differ this no, week. I'm, no. I'm taking the over on this one. Um, I do think that the Giants, listen, it may not look that way through the first three and a half quarters, but I have a feeling that there's going to be like a couple garbage time touchdowns that push that point total up to beyond, you know, the over-under. Um, I do think the Giants are capable of scoring. They're not capable of scoring as much as Dallas is, but that kind of shootout is what's going to ultimately develop at the tail end of this game. And what you're going to see is, you know, maybe like a 35 to 14 game where Daniel Jones in the final half a quarter ends up putting up 13 or 14 points or something like that and, and pushing, pushing the game over. That's kind of what I'm seeing in my, in my head at the, at the time. Um, but even beyond that, I, I, I would feel comfortable going over just for the fact alone that I, I know that Dallas is going to score a lot of points in this game. And if Jason Garrett finds that level of consistency, and again, that's always a big if with him. It's a roller coaster. But if he finds that level of consistency with his play calling and really just lets Daniel Jones do his thing, 
I, I think for that reason alone, the Giants offense is going to start to score more on a weekly basis, and you're going to see these totals start going over, and then you're going to start seeing the over-under rise. All right, so we're taking Cowboys minus 6.5 at home over the Giants and the over 52.5. I'm not going to argue, yep. Dan. i, I got to start listening to you. Um, I was trying to convince you that they were going to beat the Falcons at home. Why do I have to convince Dan that the Giants are going to beat the Falcons at home? They have to win the game. They're 0-2. they got to win. No, they lose to the Falcons, as you predicted. And then this past week, there was no freaking chance the Giants are going to win at New Orleans. I picked them in my survivor pool, the Saints. I just There was no way. But you told me, oh, you know, the Giants do play up to their competition a lot, and they'll probably win this game. And then you picked them to win in, in, for that USA Today stuff. So, yeah, so, Dan, I'm done. I'm done going against you, so I'm with you. So we're taking the Cowboys minus six and a half in the over. That's that's what we're doing. That's the pick of the week. I'm settled. Yeah, I'm settled on it. And listen, like I said, it could be either scenario. It could be where the Giants just pick up a couple garbage garbage time touchdowns, or it could just be a shootout in the end. I I do think that the Cowboys are going to win by seven or more, but I have a feeling this is going to be the maybe one of the highest scoring games for the Giants all year because they're they're going to need to score. They're going to go into the game knowing they need to score. You're going to see it again against the Rams, against the Chiefs, probably against the Buccaneers. And if, if Garrett just lets them open up you know they'll put plenty of points on the board especially if the offensive line keeps playing this way let's not kid ourselves if they keep playing this way and giving daniel jones time the giants are going to start scoring a lot more than their usual 17 point per game average all right, I love it. Cowboys-Giants doesn't get much more fun than that. Great division game. And, uh, Dan, if the Giants do turn this season around, start stringing together wins against really good teams like the Cowboys and get back into this thing, I think we'll look back. You mentioned Jabril Peppers. We'll look back at that overtime coin toss as the ultimate turning point, right? That's the turning point in the season right there. Put the pin in that. That's the turning point if the Giants do make a run this year. Yeah, and listen, I, never more than this week would I hope that I'm wrong about my pick. If the Giants go out and beat Dallas, uh, the tone of this podcast is going to change yep. uh, pretty considerably going forward, and, and rightfully so. But if, yes, if they can go on the road, pick up a win against a division opponent, a tough division opponent, you know, then you know, then you kind of got to look back and wonder, you know, maybe. Maybe there's more to this than we thought, but that defense is scary and they need to figure that out quick. Yeah, and the Cowboys are white hot right now. So if you go into Dallas and beat that team, that would be a statement win for the Giants. So let's see if they could do it. Cowboys, Giants, enjoy the football. Dan and I will be back to talk to you next time. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.